Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Tavia Kowalchuk, and one of my fondest book memories is stealing novels off my mom's nightstand when I was 10 and reading them in secret. (laughs) Who remembers Clan of the Cave Bear? Okay, I have never read Clan of the Cave Bear, but I've added it to my to-read shelf. Yay! (laughs) I'm Eliza Rosenberry. One of my favorite early memories um, of reading was my dad read me The Hobbit every night, and sometimes we would only get through like one page because it's so dense and complicated, and we kept having to reread it. Um, That's still one of my all-time favorite reading experiences. I love it. (laughs) On today's show, the future of a magical kingdom rests in the hands of a young trickster in 18th century Cairo. Nahri has never believed in magic, but when she accidentally summons a group of supernatural beings, she's forced to reconsider her beliefs. There's a reason why they say, be careful what you wish for. The City of Brass uses a fantasy world to take on issues of race, class, and religion. Its author, S.A. Chakraborty, joins us later on in the show. But first, we present to you The City of Brass Abridged. The City of Brass tells the journey of Nahri, an orphan trickster with magical healing abilities, who discovers she's the lone descendant of a ruling class of powerful beings as she's pulled into the power struggles of their Daevabad. When a run-of-the-mill fake exorcism goes wrong, Nahri accidentally summons a mysterious jinn warrior with a shady past named Dara, who insists she's no longer safe and that evil jinn are threatening her life. With Dara's help, Nahri is taken to her ancestral home, Daevabad, a legendary city protected by magical brass walls. Nahri becomes immersed in this magical metropolis's deeply divisive racial, religious, and political tensions. She is hailed as the last in a long line of royal healers and begins her formal training. Nahri establishes an uneasy friendship with Ali, son of the king and a warrior in training. This relationship and the brutal exercise of magic and power will shape the course of Nahri's life within Daevabad. So, Eliza, what did you think of this book? Wow. The City of Brass is an incredible fantasy novel. And the world building that S.A. Chakraborty does in this book, she just starts with Nahri living in, on the streets of Cairo. She's this poor little orphan girl who has this sort of like weird magic. And because she has this ability that people don't really understand, she's sort of cut out from a lot of social circles and communities. And so she's all by herself. She's never had a family. And from there, this and she's also thrust into this magical world at the same time that we are as the readers. And so it's sort of built up piece by piece. And I just think it was it was such a fun read. I agree. The world building was amazing. And you're right, like her confusion is mirrored with our own. Like we're learning yeah. right along with her. And yeah. when she asks a question, it's a natural point in the story. Like, yeah, what is an in Afshin, like what is yeah. an Ifrit? What's yeah. a Carcadon? Yes, exactly. Who are these? What are these yeah. magical beasts? And it's also such a playful book too. It sort of plays with all of the tropes that we have about fantasy novels and um, Arabic folklore and all of that. Um, and I love Nahri's life at the beginning of the book because she, even though she has this healing ability, she doesn't really believe it's magic. She doesn't really understand it. She sort of just wants to be a doctor, right, like a medical doctor. She thinks that she's just really good at it. But she definitely has something else going on. And I love that tension between, you know, we it's revealed very quickly in the book that it's actually magic and she's actually sort of part of this, like, 
you know, long line of healers in this other magical city. But at the beginning of the book, there's this tension for Nahri because she's like, I'm a human. Like, there's nothing else. Like, why wouldn't I be a human? And so sort of this tension as she discovers that there's actually this whole other world. It's like the, you're a wizard, Harry. You know, like all of a sudden (laughs) everything just opens up to her and she's, it's both an opportunity for her to get to know her history. And also there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. Yeah, I one part that I really liked in the book was the way that the author expressed Nahri's homesickness for mm. Egypt. She yeah. she missed the food, she missed the the streets, she missed knowing how things worked. Yeah. Um and even though her life there was really hard. Right. Even though she struggled and scraped to get by, she felt like at least she could take care of herself because mm-hmm. she understood what was happening. Yeah, definitely. So I love the way that the author weaves the issues of race and class and religion into this book. To me, um, she just balances so deftly the prejudices between the jinn, the shafit, which is they're like the mixed race beings, Mm. and the humans in a way. It just provides such an easy metaphor for me of the issues of race that I feel like we grapple with in our own time. Absolutely. And there's, um, like in our own world, there's a whole history of why and how the oppression of certain groups of people um, has emerged over time and why there are certain alliances between certain groups of people and not others. Um, and exploring, you know, not only what this magical world is, but also its history and its sort of social history, um, I think was really, really interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally also became so interested in these Arabic fairy tales and Mm. mythology. It stirred up all these child memories of magic carpets and genie in a bottle. And I loved it being presented in a very sort of more organic way Yeah, rather than it being this oversimplified fairy tale. And I feel like the author also was a little tongue-in-cheek about some of that stuff. Like, there's a part very early on in the book where the two characters... One character is trying to get the other character to stand on this rug. And she's like, a rug? They're trying to, like, escape. And she's like, how is a rug going to help us? And it's sort of this very funny joke about magic carpets. Right, right, right. (laughs) That was a great scene. And I just have to say, I am so excited that there are two more books featuring these characters. I haven't read either of them yet. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. So the other two books are Kingdom of Copper Mm -hmm. and Empire of Gold. And Kingdom of Copper is out now. And then Empire of Gold comes out the summer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So read City of Brass now so that by the time you get through the two books in the trilogy, you'll be ready. Yeah. You'll be ready for book three. And can I just say, I don't read, I really don't read a lot of fantasy. And so even as a non-fantasy reader, these books are really easy to get into and um, they're really fun and the humanity of the characters really brings you through it. Completely agree. Well, I'm so excited to talk with S.A. Chakraborty, Shannon. Um, she's going to be here later in the show. But first... A quick reminder that we love hearing from you, our listeners. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and post your own questions for the authors who appear on this show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after our discussion with the author for a sneak peek of the audiobook. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Today, we're joined by S.A. Chakraborty, whose debut novel, The City of Brass, is out now. It's the first book in her Day of Abad trilogy. Welcome, Shannon, to the Book Club Girl podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. We're really glad to have you here. Fans of The City of Brass have sent us a ton of questions for you, and so we're just going to start 
By kicking things off with the first question from Sarah, who wrote to us on the Book Club Girls Facebook group and asked, what was your inspiration for the Devabod trilogy and how long have you been working on it? So I always tell people the Devabod trilogy was not in any way meant to be a book <laughs> that I intended to share publicly. And I probably worked on it for over a decade. I started working on it right after college when sort of my career plans essentially fell apart. So I started working on this story and this series of stories and sort of this world building project that was one part sort of historical fan fiction and me just kind of, you know, I like to write about this aspects of Baghdad or trade or this, this these folk tales and just making up a world in it. I, I looked at the traditional idea of jinn, that they weren't sort of these, you know, Disney blue people, but rather in Islam, it's believed that they're these um, creatures of smokeless fire they live very long lives. Uh, depending on the stories you're talking about, they come from all different places in the world and they have different powers and different tales behind them. But I thought of them as sort of these time travelers in a way that they had watched various human civilizations that I loved studying rise and fall and had built their world in a mirror of that. And I just started writing little short stories that took place in this world. And eventually the plot more coalesced and once I really started writing Nahri and her character this story just came to me very quickly and I started workshopping it around and now I'm here in my home office surrounded by fan art so it's been an interesting past few years. Wow. I, I really want to see some fan art. I know. Send I will. us some I will snaps. So we have another question from Lazi who asks, what is your favorite character in the series? So this is a very hard question because I enjoy writing all of them. Um, I enjoy even writing some of the side characters as much as the main characters. But if I really had to pick, uh, it would definitely be Nahri. Um, I just really resonated with that character and I wanted to write a woman who lived during these times, and I wanted to sort of reflect the reality of life for most women throughout history, which is not always misery, but that, you know, she's a survivor. You know, I wanted to take a little bit of a step back at the trope we have in fantasy literature of the con artist or the orphan with, you know, this spectacular supernatural destiny and really talk about what it would be like to have grown up in a city and a place in which you didn't have anybody and kinship networks determined everything about how lonely you might be, about how that might affect your ability to form trusting relationships really for your entire life that when we see when even when Nahri goes to Devabad and she has oh you are fated to be this kind of person she doesn't forget who she is and her background continues to influence her actions. I loved that scene where she's struggling to heal her patients and then she has a chance to heal Ali who's one of her friends in the castle and I just thought that was such a moment where she sort of came back to herself and re renewed her personal power. I really love that scene. Yeah, and I wanted it to always kind of go back to that, to to her desire to be a doctor, um, her desire to learn and heal and practice, and that as the trilogy goes on, that is something that helps her center herself in times of struggle. One of our listeners, Eamon, has a question for you. What scene from the book was the hardest for you to write? With the trilogy, I wanted to really examine the idea of who we say are monsters and who we say are heroes. Um, and there is one character in this book, and I'm going to come out and say that, yes, I, I wanted people to fall in love with this character, and I wanted to see how far I could stretch that. And writing the scene where I think 
for my other character that I like a lot when she kind of realizes how deeply this world has affected this other person and broken them and what ends up breaking the trust between them was a very hard scene to write because I felt like I had to get every single word in that scene right and to really make it clear as much as people might want to forgive this other person or move past this or continue to root for a certain pair that what happens in that scene is awful and I think in some ways unforgivable and just making sure that like I said down to the word down to the italicized word (laughs) that everything was there so you couldn't really look away from it yeah it was that scene was heartbreaking really and (laughs) um as a reader (laughs) and and thinking about how you approached writing it I can see how it had to be very precise. You didn't want there to be any, um, you didn't want to give readers an opportunity to make excuses or yes. or anything. You really wanted to, to have it right. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and I do see what you're saying about, you know, this interplay between like, who are the monsters and what does it mean to be a monster? You know, this idea of characters sort of not being all the way good or all the way bad you know I think that's how we understand people in real life too for the most part I think you can sort of understand you know if you understand someone's motivation for the decision that they're making you can find a way to be sympathetic with them or not Um, and and the way that you even though this is set in a fantastical world it's clear it's so human the stories that you're telling here and when Tavia and I were talking about the book recently, we we ended up sort of talking about the tensions and the relationships between the jinn and the shafit in City of Brass. And we read that dynamic as metaphorical to, you know, our own world. And so we were sort of curious how you see that dynamic playing out um, in your approach to writing the book. Well, like I said before, I, I wanted it to mirror certain very human, very stark realities of the fact that we all essentially live in societies that are built on oppression. Um, history is built on oppression. This isn't even you know an arguing point. You can look back and unfortunately there's certain things that are common to the human species and human history. And that in order to truly fix things and try to make things better, it involves breaking things, I think, a lot more thoroughly than people want to realize. Um, It involves sort of looking at your own place in the world and accepting your privileges um, and accepting the way that your own position or your own family's position might hurt people, the the very people you say you're trying to help. Um, And that a lot of fighting injustice is recognizing your own part in it and working with that to affect the people around you. Um, So I wanted to look at, at the ways you would work with that. And again, to always come back to choice that all of the characters in, in all of these novels have certain points where they have to make a choice to either do right or do, or do wrong and that taking the easiest path is sometimes seems like, oh, this is pragmatic because I will commit this smaller injustice to fight a, a graver one. That, that's something we say a lot. And the people who, who are at the victims of that smaller injustice are usually not the ones who get a vote. And I really wanted to look at just the way that choice works in, in sort of these systems of subjugation. 
For me, your book neatly sidestepped the cliches of flying carpets, snake charmers, and magic words. What were the most interesting or fun bits of Arabic legend that you wove into the novel? Um, One of my favorite things are basically murder statues. And it's in all of these tales, you know, you see ruined Roman or Greek or or Egyptian statues and they like come to to life. They're either cursed and they have a sword and they stab you or a lot of times there's this very sort of steampunky element where it's it's not magic. It's this that they've been engineered to move and to do things. And I love it because I I love the, the way stories interact with the past. And I always found it far more realistic that if you grew up as, as people would have in the medieval era among these sort of ruins of the classical and antique world that instead of you know like in the in the west they're like oh we see like a broken statue like let's put it in the garden like some of those statues are (laughs) you would i would definitely think you yes i'm like you're gonna murder me (laughs) let alone like let's like put it in a museum and i just i always loved this this trope of you know sort of the past ruins kind of coming back to life to to doom heroes and protagonists and it's got a very sort of indiana jones element of these discoverers and explorers you know setting off these booby traps so I have looked for places to put this in the books and they always ended up getting cut no but (laughs) in City of Brass the lions come to life at the gates that's true I love that part I feel like that's not like your classical murder statue but yes the lions come to life I was able to keep that. that And then, yeah, in, in Empire of Gold, I did finally get my proper murder <laughs> Ooh, okay. Something to look forward to. <laughs> yes. Um, we have another question from one of your readers, Tanvir, from Instagram. Says, your books are freaking awesome, and so your taste in books must be too. So what types of books do you read? Do you have any reading recommendations for our listeners? I have a few. I mean, I split my books fairly evenly uh, between fic- fiction and nonfiction, especially right now. I'm working on my next next trilogy which is about smugglers in the medieval Indian Ocean so my reading is far less fantasy and more books like The Race for Paradise <laughs> about the Crusades um, but so but I always I always recommend Tasha Suri uh, she wrote Empire of Sand and she also wrote Realm of Ash which comes out in November I she is probably one of my favorite modern fantasy writers she her prose is glorious the world building is amazing so you should definitely check out her books and then another YA that's going to be coming out I believe this summer is Girl Serpent Thorn by Melissa Basherdos and I got an early copy and it's utterly fantastic it's a fairy tale inspired it has a very fairy tale vibe it's inspired by ancient persian folklore and it's just a wonderful story about a female anti-hero and i won't spoil it but i i highly recommend it so kate from instagram wants to know who is the character from your book that you've caused the most pain to overall so who do i cause the most pain to i know a lot of people are going to say it's dara um, but I'm going to go and say, I think Nahri, because she's always really trying to, to kind of do her best and get out of the situation and fix things. And it's more when her when her dreams and her life and everything she builds get gets broken, it's usually other people doing it to her. Whereas I feel like some of the other characters, particularly the men in the Devabad trilogy, kind of have a hand in their own destruction. 
Uh, so I will say Nahri because she she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, I have I agree with you. I feel like Nahri just gets knocked by every side, and she she has so many hard decisions yeah. to make, and I feel like that's part of part of her pain is making these decisions. So switching gears, there are some love stories in the novel. I love that you added these because it adds humanity to these jinn. Would you tell us a little bit about the romantic relationships in the book? I really wanted to kind of look at the idea of love and romance as another part of life that sometimes when you're put into a situation or a world where you don't have always have a choice, you make the best of it. And I wanted to talk about the ways that that might affect uh, affect a character, that it's not something, you know, sort of the trope of, oh, you know, women are always so oppressed and, and they're forced to do this, but rather this is a situation life has put you in. How do you work that out? Letting Nahri sort of have different feelings for people. Like I was, I was joking with another reader on Twitter and I won't spoil it, but I, I, I did say that in another, in an alternate reality, I, I always thought that Nahri and Muntazir, if they weren't enemies, would have made a frighteningly effective uh, <laughs> king and queen. So, and I, I kind of wanted to show that. I mm. wanted to show that this was a character that her life was not determined by romantic relationships, but rather she could probably find happiness with different people at different points in her life. Yeah, I love that. One, this is a totally different kind of question. One of your fans on Instagram, Thado, wrote, would you ever be willing to release an official image of the Afshin mark that Dara wears? Because this person says that they would actually get it tattooed on their body permanently. <laughs> that is not the first time I've heard that. And I would like to. I, I, it's funny. I get. I don't know why because I can't even draw like a stick figure. <laughs> and I've got all this gorgeous fan art. And I would really. I have very much in my mind what Dara's Afshin mark looks like. I have tried to draw it, and it looks very sad. All right. Well, the fans are waiting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is S.A. Chakraborty, whose book, The City of Brass, is out now. You can read more about her book at bookclubgirl.com. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, we ask S.A. Chakraborty about her literary white whale. Stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by the illustrated edition of The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. This beautiful, immersive, and fully illustrated edition of Neil Gaiman's beloved number one bestselling novel features illustrations by Elise Hurst. The Ocean at the End of the Lane illustrated edition is available now wherever books are sold. Today, we're joined by S.A. Chakraborty, whose debut novel, The City of Brass, is out now. It's the first book in her Day of Abad trilogy. Each episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white whale? It's a book they've either always meant to read or when they started reading and never finished. Let's hear what Shannon has to say. You know, I this is a little hard for me because I, you know, I kind of pick up a lot of the books that I want to read and and read them. I mean, that's sort of the benefit of, of being an adult and having a, <laughs> a good library and sort of not my parents around anymore to be like, you have too many books. Um, so I would say, <laughs> and this is actually a literary white whale I will probably obtain very uh, swiftly. I have always wanted to read The Goblin Emperor. Oddly enough, uh, once The City of Brass came out, everybody kept asking if I read it that the character Ali really reminded them of the main character in The Goblin Empire. And I 
I have a soft spot in my head for characters who are sort of, you know, naive prince, princes, scholarly nerds who are extremely thrown in over their heads. So I'm very much looking forward to that particularly literary white whale being conquered in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Very exciting. Shan, thank you so much for joining us. We had so much fun talking to you about City of Brass today. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. That was S.A. Chakraborty, whose book, The City of Brass, is out now. To find out more about her book and the next two books in the trilogy and how to buy them, head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything else mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and leave a review. And another way to help spread the word about the podcast is to tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with Kate Quinn about her new novel, The Huntress. So good. It's going to be such a great conversation. You can join that conversation if you've read The Huntress. And if you have a question for Kate Quinn, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group. Or give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We would really love to hear from you. Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosperay, who produced today's episode, to Pascal McGilvray, the engineer for this episode, to Jessica Brockington for recording today's author interview, to Angela Kraft, a marketing gin, and to Pam Jaffe, the pillar behind our life events. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. They raced down the nearest lane as the ground shook. One of the tombs burst open, and two corpses flung themselves at Nari. Afshin's sword flashed, sending their heads tumbling. He pulled her into a narrow alley. We need to get out of here. The ghouls likely can't leave the burial ground. Likely? You mean there's a chance these things might get out and start feasting on everyone in Cairo? He looked thoughtful. That would provide a distraction. Perhaps noticing her horror, he quickly changed the subject. Either way, we need to leave. I... She glanced around, but they were deep in the cemetery. I don't know how. He sighed. Then we'll need to make our own exit. He jerked his head at the surrounding mausoleums. Do you think I can find a rug in any of these buildings? A rug? How is a rug going to help us? The headstones near them shuddered. He made a hushing noise. Be quiet, he whispered. You'll wake up more. She swallowed hard, ready to throw her lot in with this offsheen if it was the best way to avoid becoming a meal for the dead. What do you need me to do? Find a rug, a tapestry, curtains, something fabric and big enough for both of us. But why? He cut her off, motioning with one finger toward the ghastly sounds coming from the opposite alley. No more questions. She studied the tombs. A broom rested outside one, and its wooden window screens looked new. It was large probably the kind that held a small room for visitors. Let's try that one. They crept down the alley. She tried the door, but it didn't budge. It's locked, she said. Give me one of your daggers. I'll pick it. 
he raised his palm. The door burst inward, wooden splinters spraying the ground. Go, I'll guard the entrance. Nari glanced back. The noise had already drawn attention. A group of ghouls rushed in their direction. Are they getting faster? The curse takes time to warm up. She blanched. You can't possibly kill them all. He gave her a shove. Then hurry. Hurry.